0: Thank you for being here. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 26. I want to talk this morning about an idea that seems contrary to itself, and yet it's an important spiritual application in our lives. In fact, if we realize this principle in our lives every day, if this happens in our lives, we will reach a much deeper level of maturity than we've ever had before. When we talk about growing fruit, which is our series right now, Growing Fresh Fruit, we talk about growing fruit, especially because of what we know from farming and from botany and all that good stuff. We know that there are certain conditions that have to exist for the plant to be able to grow and mature. I don't know if you've seen in the news right now in Texas, they're experiencing the worst drought that they've had since they started keeping records in 1895. Some areas since October have had less than two inches of rain, and the, the land is just parched. There's nothing happening, and when you look out at the landscape, there's no way there are going to be good crops growing out of that. There's no way you're going to see a raspberry like that growing out of the Texas soil right now because the land is so dry. So it's kind of a natural assumption that if in farming there's dryness and no ability to grow fruit, then the same would hold true spiritually, that there can't really be any distress or any hindrance to uh, the growth of the fruit. You kind of need ideal conditions to flourish. Well, this passage, Genesis chapter 26, we're going to look at Isaac. And it teaches us that there are times when the conditions aren't so optimal. In fact, the conditions are lousy. They're irritating and frustrating and annoying and even kind of personally hurtful. And yet in that, the Lord still expects us to be fruitful. Despite opposition, despite adversity, despite, in Isaac's case, having to start over again and over again and over again, the Lord expects us to be fruitful. Because even when we have the promises of God, even when we have the presence of God, which we studied for weeks Even when we have God's hand on us and we're trusting in him, there are often times when we're challenged in what we believe was supposed to happen. There are times when we look at our lives and we say, well, I thought it was going to go in that direction, and it didn't go in that direction, and I assumed and figured out that God was leading me that way, but God actually introduces change, and he introduces change for a very specific purpose. He introduces change to stretch our faith and to stir us to love him even more. And that's what happens to Isaac, second son of Israel. Abraham was the founding father of Israel. Isaac's the second son, the child of the covenant, the one that the Lord had put his hand on and said, this is the one that will make a great nation. And as we studied with the kids in VBS just briefly, God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land to live in, and I'm going to bless you and be your God. And now at this stage, Isaac is trusting God's promise to his father, and he's trusting God's provision, and God is blessing him over and over and over. But the passage brings up a problem that is going to lead him into a very challenging situation and is going to test his faith and test his resolve And test his commitment. Let's look at it. Chapter 26. Thank you for turning. Let's start in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous hymn that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I will tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these land, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, if you glance back to 25, you see that Abraham had just died. And it would be natural for Isaac to assume as the son of the covenant, as the one through whom the promise was going, that everything's just going to continue status quo. And I would even think that he might assume, well, God loved Abraham, and my father just died, and now God will probably make the transition kind of easy for me because he knows the sorrow that I'm going through and the challenges that I face. So, so maybe he won't allow a lot of difficulty from the outset. But that's not what happens. If you look back at verse 1, you see that there's a famine in the land. Not what he expected. And Isaac has to discern what to do next. Not only how to survive, not only how to figure out how to feed everybody, but even more so how to reconcile in his heart and mind what he had not expected. There are times when that happens in our lives, isn't there? How many know that's true this morning? That things are going along and you expect things are going to be one way and all of a sudden it changed. And what we're just trying to understand what's going on. But no matter how much we think about it or analyze it or, or talk about it with other people, we just can't make it make sense. We wonder how and why and what next. And it nags at us and we just can't seem to get past this. It's in those times that the Lord may be asking us to dig some new wells. Now, Isaac apparently starts to think, how am I going to solve this? What am I going to do? Well, maybe I'll go down to Egypt because the Nile is abundant. It's far bigger than the Jordan. And and maybe even if they're having drought down there and famine, I can go down there. But we see in verse 2 that the Lord very clearly says, don't go there. Stay in this land, the one that I gave to your father Abraham, the one that I covenanted forever, the one that even today, 2011, belongs to the nation of Israel. Stay in this land. And if you stay here, I am going to give you promises. Now look at what the Lord says, because there's a lot of I wills here. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will give you all the lands. I will keep my covenant. I will multiply your descendants, and all your descendants will be blessed. Seven times the Lord says, I will do this. Now, he does it because he's a gracious God. He does it because he had chosen to make a covenant with Abraham. But there's a little added line right there at the end of verse 5. There's that little phrase I will, do this, I will do this. 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 I will do this because Abraham obeyed me. Now, don't miss that little phrase. What a legacy Isaac had to draw from. What an example his father had set for him to be known as someone who fervently trusted the Lord and who diligently. Obeyed the Lord now Isaac knew that that was true; he knew that his father had believed in the Lord so completely that he was willing to yield in the ultimate test of faith that God had given him at the outset. Abraham and Sarah had finally had a child at a hundred, and it was such a blessing after the fiasco with Ishmael and Hagar. And now, here's his son, and it's wonderful, and everything's going on. And one day, as Abraham's life is going on in the expected direction, God says to him, Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him to me. Talk about a change in direction. Talk about something unexpected. And yet, without a word, without a hesitation, without a question of, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? Abraham yields to the point of being willing to sacrifice what meant more to him than anything in the world so that he would be obedient to God. And he did not doubt the word of the Lord and the promise of the Lord. And Isaac knew that firsthand because he had been there. He had stood there as his father bound him up and lifted him up and laid him on the altar And as the knife was poised above his chest, Isaac, of all the things that he saw and felt at that moment, saw his father's confidence and hope in the Lord at its ultimate. It was a searing image that he never, ever could have forgotten. Now, thankfully, the Lord this morning is not asking you and me, dads, to display that kind of absolute trust in him to that level. But the question I would have to us, and I don't do a lot of Father's Day messages, but let me speak specifically to dads here. Do our sons and daughters see us trusting the Lord at that level? Do they see our confidence in the Lord at that level? Of the 40 verses in Hebrews chapter 11, where it's talking about the great men and women of faith, Abraham gets the most. He gets seven. 18% of the verses in Hebrews 11 are about the faith of Abraham. Of all the people in Scripture, of all the dads in Scripture, you can't find a finer one than Abraham. He walked in obedience, and Isaac watched him day after day, and he only saw that the love for God that Abraham had was consistent. Now, I've been blessed, and I know a lot of people haven't, so I feel even a little guilty saying it. I've been blessed with a father like that. Sent me a text even this morning just encouraging me, and he said, don't forget John Knox's word, preach as a dying man to dying men. What a a thing to be able to say this morning. That's the kind of legacy we need, dads, to our kids. To be able to speak truth to them, to be able to be godly to them, to look at Abraham and say, That's the kind of man I want to be. Dad, you and I have a responsibility this morning to be an Abraham, not just so we would please the Lord and be blessed by the Lord, but so that our children and their children and their children, if the Lord delays that long, would be blessed by God and would be loved by God and would trust and obey God. That's a biblical principle. It's visited to generation after generation after generation. Right now, you as a dad and you as a mom have a choice of what your kids are going to be like. And you have a choice of what their kids are going to be like. And you have a choice of what their kids are going to be like because you are setting them up now to be either a godly parent or an ungodly parent. It's your choice. Isaac knew the promises of God. He saw them in Abraham's life. And while these promises are specific to him, we can't say this morning that God has promised us land. That's a specific promise to Isaac. And yet we can see that the Lord is always faithful to his promises. And there is never a shortage of help. When we trust the Lord, God blesses. Don't let prosperity thinking and rewards thinking that's been in the church for years cause you to be jaded about the biblical truth that the Lord blesses those who are faithful. If you are faithful to the Lord, if you trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, he will delight you, he will encourage you, he will bless you, he will provide for you. That's not prosperity theology, that's biblical theology. It's not about having a Cadillac. It's not about having a big home. It's about having the hand of God on your life. And Isaac understood that. Look back at verse 12. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich. Don't lose your thinking now. Don't get distracted. And continue to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped them up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, get away from us. You're too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with him. And they said, This water is ours. So he named the well Asak, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too. So he named it Sitna. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they didn't quarrel over this one. So he named it Rechaboth. For he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Now it's ironic that during a great time of famine and drought on Philistine land, that Isaac is able to have this kind of success where when he plants the crops, it comes back a hundred times what he planted. But in the end, the verse reminds us that it wasn't because of his skill and it wasn't because of his wisdom And it wasn't because he had miracle grow. And it wasn't because he found just the right soil or just the right mix of fertilizer or had the right kind of water. The Lord helped him. And he became very wealthy and he had extensive possessions and livestock. But again, be careful not to define God's blessing and favor materially because that wasn't the qualifier that the Lord established in verse 3. This is not about property and possessions This is about God being faithful to those who trust in him. And far more important than the wealth was the fact that God was leading him. But here's the problem. Anytime God is blessing and leading someone outwardly, there will always be opposition. There will always be someone who is jealous of it. And this is an important spiritual principle that we don't talk about very much. Partly because we don't want to lean into arrogance and presumption and partly because we want to avoid assuming motives in people. But it is a fact that when the Lord is blessing a believer or a group of believers in a unique way, there will always be outward opposition. Sometimes there will be inward opposition and it will be motivated by jealousy and its goal will be destruction. It will either come from those who oppose the gospel and don't love the gospel, or it will come from believers who are uh, clouded by pride and by selfishness. But either way, whoever it comes from, it's very disheartening. And I tried to think what Isaac was feeling in verses 15 to 21. When the Philistines first fill in the old wells that his father has built, and then he tries to dig them again, and they do the same thing, and then they dig another well, and they co-opt that and say, that water's ours, and then they dig another well, and they co-opt that and say, the water's ours. At what point does he become annoyed? He's doing nothing wrong other than following the Lord. He's doing nothing wrong other than serve the Lord, but people are jealous of it, and they impede his progress, and they try to take him away from what he's doing. Now, that brings us to the heart of what I hope uh, we can have impressed on our hearts this morning. Because when we're in those situations where we are trying to bear fresh fruit, and we're trying to love and trust and serve the Lord, but it's getting questioned, and it's getting criticized, and it's getting blocked... The key will be how we react to it and how we deal with it. Think of all the possible options that Isaac had and that he could have used in dealing with the Philistines who kept dealing with, kept filling the wells with dirt. Let me give you four very quickly. The first one would be angry revenge. Angry revenge. He clearly has the manpower to fight a a battle against these little bands of people who are messing with his property. They've already admitted, the king has admitted, you're too powerful for us, you've got too many people, you've got too much wealth, we can't handle you. So he's got an advantage materially, and he's got an advantage psychologically. He could have, at this point, let frustration dominate his thinking, and he could have gotten back at them with a vengeance. So first response would have been angry revenge. The second response would have been clever manipulation. Manipulation. It's easy for me to say. I talk for a living. Clever manipulation. Everybody say it with me. Clever. Minute. Good. I see. I want to make sure you're awake. Clever manipulation. He's got all kinds of money. He's got all kinds of resources. He could have gone to some officials and said, "By the way, I got a little cash here. You got some people that are uh, plugging up my wells. Tell you what." I'll take care of you, take care of me. little Chicago way kind of deal, right? Here's here's something in my hand. I don't know what that is, but you may want to grab it out of my hand. And, oh, by the way, I need a favor. He could have done that. He has the means to control the situation. He has the means to make sure that the people stop doing what they're doing. And then there's the third option, emotional surrender. He could have thrown up his hands and said, oh, enough. How many times do I have to do this? He could have been offended and wounded and let his emotions take him to the point of debilitation where he can't get past the reaction. Sometimes we react that way. We're just so emotionally distraught and we never move on. This is one response to opposition that we don't study often enough and we don't realize how damaging it is. Because in emotional surrender, we are not trusting and getting clarification from the Lord at what he's allowed. We're not learning about him and about ourselves. We're just putting up a block and saying, I don't want to learn. I don't want to trust. I just want to be miserable. And then there's the fourth option, disbelieving disobedience. He could have gotten bitter and cynical and question God. Hey, I thought you were going to take care of me. What about the covenant with Abraham? Come on, God. Oh, yeah, okay. Some kind of God you are. thought you were going to take care of me. What about these wells? This is the fourth time I've dug. They keep stealing it from me. At what point, Lord, are you going to help me? Now, that's a stretch. But certainly the enemy was prodding that doubt, don't you think? We've heard that in our minds. You ever heard that in your mind? Hey, question God. What's going on here? Why isn't he helping you? I thought he wasn't going to give you more than you could handle. Well, it sure seems like it right now, doesn't it? Ever hear those voices? He could have done that. He could have looked back to Moriah and thought about laying there bound up and seeing that knife above his heart. And he could have said, you know what? God following you Ask too much. These four options are the ones that we fall back to, one or two or maybe all of them. They're the ones that we fall back to when we're not fully committed in our heart and mind, when we don't say, blessed be the name of the Lord no matter what. And if we don't guard against them and we don't ask the Lord for his help, fear and frustration will quickly take hold and will become confused and will doubt and will become an angry pile of inconsistency and insecurity and frustration. Imagine if Isaac had gotten irritated after the first time. Imagine after the second time, he had started to get ticked off. And finally, when it came to the third and fourth time, he had started to fall into self-pocus and self-pity and started to say, forget it. I'm not going to trust you God anymore because I've waited four times and you still haven't come through. It wasn't that he was disaffected. He knew what was going on. He even names the wells that they steal back. Asic, which means contention or struggling in a contest for control. And he names the other one Sitna, which means fighting. But notice that Isaac doesn't let the unfair opposition discourage him or dissuade him from trusting. And notice how he perseveres until he finds the flowing water that isn't opposed. On the final try, he gets that fresh well, and he waits. And he waits. When are they going to come? When are the herdsmen of Gerar going to come and say, Hey, that's our water. And he waits. And nobody comes. And he says, this is Rechaboth. The word means a wide place. Isaac says, it took a while, but now the Lord has made a way for us to be fruitful. Listen now. And it wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have experienced Rechaboth without the opposition and the contention that we faced. You know, there are times in our lives when the Lord opens unexpected doors of opportunity that we are specifically that are specifically designed for us. But if we are resistant because we have to go through difficulty first, or we're resistant because it's uncomfortable, because it's not what we expected, and our plans are getting modified by the Holy Spirit, then we are missing out on the fresh supply of water and of blessing that God wants to pour on our lives. We talk a lot, or I talk a lot, about trust and about yieldedness. Why do I do that? Because both are key, that our faith is adaptable every day. We walk by faith, not by what? Tell me. So we're going to have to be adaptable. Everything doesn't just line up. Hey, Rhodes, here's the next 30 years of your life, day after day. This is what you're going to do. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm analytical and critical. So if I saw the next 30 years I'd lay out, I'd go... I don't like year 56. That doesn't look too good. And year 48, there's going to be some kind of health crisis, and, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. No, I don't think I want that. That's why God doesn't lay it off for us. He says, no, you're going to walk by faith. I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. I will never give you more than you can handle. But I'm telling you, you are going to have to be adaptable. Because I am Lord, you are not, and I am in control, and I know what's best. So you, believer, you, child that I love, you're going to have to go with the flow. Now, that's the key indicator of walking by faith. And when the spirit is moving and the water is flowing, that is where we want to be. It doesn't mean we're running all over the place. It doesn't mean that God's toying with us and purposely blinding our minds and making us confused. God is not a God of confusion. But Isaac ends up at the right place only after taking a couple stops. God doesn't say, first place you do, go dig up the old wells, go do what you used to do, fall back on tradition, just do that, everything will be peachy. They fill the wells He tries again. They steal the wells. Finally, he gets to the place, and the water there is not clogged, and it's sweet, and he abides there. Listen, the enemy is going to do everything he can this week to put dirt in your wells. Everything he can. He wants you to lose confidence. He wants you to quit. So we have to guard our hearts, and we have to anticipate the opposition, and we have to know that the Lord is faithful But we have to also know that sometimes the Lord's going to say, keep digging new wells. Paul, that one's not good. Dig another one. Dig another one. I'm not done yet. I need to get you to a place. And we can't get caught up in anger and revenge at this point because then our ego and our pride get involved. There's a reason why God said, a soft answer turns away wrath. There's a reason why he said, Turn the other cheek. There's a reason why he says, forget the past, especially if it's controlling you and clouding your thinking and your emotions. There's a reason why Peter said, remember Jesus, who we have reviled. He didn't argue back. He didn't say a word, but he trusted the one who is the judge of what's right and wrong. There's a reason why we're pointed to the silence of Jesus when Pilate's trying to frame him and kind of subtly mocking him and it says Jesus didn't say a word. There's a reason why the Lord says don't be around contentious people. Don't be around people that just love to argue for the sake of argument because that's the enemy baiting us to respond in ungodly ways. One time, two times, three times, Isaac has good wells taken away. So what does he do? He moves on and he digs another well. Now here's the key to digging wells. You don't know where the water is. The presence of the water under the ground is not obvious, but the sufficiency of God is. So Isaac went to the next place and he dug the shovel in and he waited for the shovel to hit the aquifer and for the fresh water to spring forth. And I believe it was more wonderful to him than any of the other wells that he had dug. And he waits and says, nothing is coming. And then he says, this is Rechoboth. The Lord has given us room. And notice why. I'm almost done. He's given us room so we, verse 22, can be fruitful in the land. Spiritual fruit can grow in any conditions. And sometimes it's the less than ideal conditions that are the best climate for growing the best fruit. Remember, I said at the start, this is contrary to how we would normally think. Sometimes the places of difficulty, sometimes the places of unexpected opposition are the only way we can be fruitful. Isaac would not have known Rechaboth and he would not have appreciated Rechaboth if it hadn't been first for Essek and Sidna. It would have just been another well. If the other wells hadn't been filled up, he never would have gotten to the wide place that the Lord had planned for him. He never would have experienced the joy of saying, God has given us space. Many of us have experienced that over the last six months to a year. And I'm telling you, when I watched that video Friday morning of VBS, and I saw the start when we walked into that dirty building, and we started to clean up and hang up and and put my friend Herbert the Wonder Bunny up on the thing and develop the things, and we built the signs. I mean, the, the man hours were unbelievable. and and the music, and the crafts, and the snacks, and the games. And, and, And I watched that Friday morning, and I started to tear up because I was so overwhelmed with joy at what God has done. And I was reminded of how he was the one that birthed this church, and I was reminded of the support and the sacrifice that you made to listen to the Lord and invest in the body. God has been so amazingly, amazingly faithful. And I feel so blessed that we have found in this time of difficulty the fresh well. But listen, that was born out of filled wells. Whatever the crisis, whatever the difficulty, and there have been many across many families, some of you still dealing with some, those difficulties are designed to mature us as believers and to keep us humble and dependent so we never assume and we keep calling on his name. Without the filled-in wells, we will never have room to be fruitful in the way God's called us to be. That's the message. Don't assume that the first well is the best well. Because sometimes God's going to say, no, that's not the one. And our reaction and our response to that is so very key that we don't get bitter and angry and hostile and try to manipulate the situation and try to say, well, I need to do this and this and this. Instead, we just need to go dig a new well. And God will take us to the place where he wants us to be. Let's pray together. Let me just talk to you for a moment as your heads bowed. Every single person in this room this morning, myself included, is being stretched in some way by the Lord. Even if you don't know him this morning, you're a visitor, you don't know Jesus Christ, you just came to watch your kids. God is stretching you. God is calling you. I've been saved 37 years. He's still stretching me and calling me to fresh wells question is, how are we each going to respond to that? What are we going to do with it? For the next minute or two, I'd like to just really encourage you to go before the Lord, whatever spiritual state you're in this morning. And listen to his spirit say, this is what I'm leading you to. This is what I'm asking of you. Maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior. And he's calling you this morning to understand his grace and his mercy and his love. The fact that he offers forgiveness to every single person because we're all sinners. We've all offended him. I can't even begin to fathom the times that I've offended the Lord by my sin. And yet, he provided a way of salvation that we don't deserve and we don't earn. He just did it because he loves us. This morning, if you will trust Christ to save you, he will save you and deliver you and change you. You will experience abundance like you've never experienced. I'm not talking about materialism. I'm talking about the hand in favor of God. Maybe... You did receive Christ at one point, but there's been no growth or little growth. You're dry. He's calling you to step away from your old self. To put your past behind you and to live in the freedom from sin that Christ has provided for you. It's time for you to live in abundance. It's time for that fruit to get saturated with water. And for you to start growing. If you know the truth, live in the truth. Maybe you know Christ and you're distracted and discouraged and defeated. Something's impeding you that you honestly just are not letting go. Maybe it's pain, maybe it's materialism, maybe it's goals. I don't know. But I'm telling you, there's a new well waiting for you. Keep digging. If you know him and love him, and you're serving him. Listen, those people that fill the wells are always going to be nearby. They're always ready to shovel some dirt. But God has a place of Rechaboth for you. He wants to give you room to grow and mature and to be encouraged and strengthened and to grow that fresh fruit that needs to pour out of our lives because we love the Lord and He controls our lives. That's a good thing. So much rather be controlled by the Holy Spirit than by all the other things in the world. Lord, speak to each of us individually right now. You have a specific word for every one of us. You have a specific plan for every one of us. You have specific wells that are waiting to be dug so that we can find the flowing water of your grace and mercy so the Holy Spirit can move through our lives and transform us and make us in your likeness, conform to Christ. Father, we pray that our hearts would remain open, that this wouldn't be a time to just hear your word and then walk away and nothing changes. Lord, don't allow that today. Change who we are. Refine what is not pure. Lord, we ask you to do a fresh work in our lives and a fresh work in our midst. This is your body. We're your children. Lead us and direct us, we pray. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We can't thank you enough for what you have done. We love you. We praise you for who you are. We pray this because of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.